Mana 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 this is Social Discasting. Welcome to Social Discasting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I'm Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is a writer, actor, and producer who has served as the segment producer on AMC's Talking Dead, an associate producer on Netflix's Nailed It, and he hosts the excellent podcast, PA Nation, an entertainment podcast about life below the line. Please welcome Cooper Peltz. Welcome. Thank you. That was a wonderful intro. Welcome you. to you, Brandon. Oh, man. I'm already, I just feel like I shrunk in my chair hearing <laughs> the idea of that. No, no, no. <laughs> Anything but me, please, dear God. No, this is going to be, I'm just, I'm going to flip it all on you and I'm going to interview you now. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, turn down the sound of me squirming when I edit this later. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so the, uh, yeah, the... The opening salvo, as it were. Mm-hmm. The uh, easy to ask, difficult to answer question. Or no. Yeah, that's right. Good Lord. Easy to ask, difficult to answer question. Difficult to you? ask, easy to answer. The difficult to ask. So let me Even drink some water. Even more difficult to answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, how are you? I am okay. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing very well in today's standards, I think. That's fair. Yeah, playing Assassin's Creed. The new Assassin's Creed is great. I'd say, what, what is this Valhalla? Is that the iteration? Which one is this? I can't keep up. Yeah, Valhalla. Valhalla, you got Vikings, and you got British people, and it's great. I've spent, I played it for 12 hours, and I'm only <laughs> at like 8% done. It's fantastic. It's huge, and you can just like lose yourself in it, and it's great. I love open world games, mm-hmm. and I like just the option of either, like, look, I could fuck around, or I could do story stuff. Yeah. You know, and I tend to really do a lot of the, the former. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of, of fuckery, as it were. Yeah. Especially with a game like that, where, for me, I'm just a, I love history, so mm-hmm. to be able to go around in those worlds, because they're pretty immersive. Yeah. It's pretty impressive how, how like, minute the details are. Yeah, it's crazy. It's... uh. Yeah, I was a history major in college, and that really means nothing, but I do enjoy <laughs> history. And yeah, each game is just so good. And I love this game. I could talk about this forever. This game keep going, brings in aspects from like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, the first Assassin's Creed, you know, all of these different things that they maybe haven't used in a long time, like blending in with monks or. So, like different uh, attributes, abilities, things you can do. Exactly. I know on the larger picture, they're all tied in in that it's part of Assassin's Creed and you go mm-hmm. to different places. But I know if it was like story aspects or just like the actual, abilities. Like, technical abilities okay. of like blending in and um, I don't know, like the in Brotherhood, you had that whole town that you could like upgrade and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's basically like what you do in this one and it's super fun and... and yeah, highly recommend. Thank you about that. The movie adaptation, mm-hmm. which video games are so seeming borderline impossible to yeah. adapt into a movie just by the very nature of what they are. Because mm-hmm. it's like, uh, hey, I love playing the game, so let's watch all the cutscenes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> let's have only the things that you skip during the game. Let's yeah. only have that. Yeah, it's like, oh, let me watch for two and a half hours. The thing I press X to, yeah. to skip, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But 
But that is, it's kind of like Doctor Who in that regard. It is unlimited what you can do with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a smart storytelling device mm-hmm. that, man, I, you know, it'd be cool to watch to see, like, Assassin's Creed 7, where are they going to go this time and fight? Mm-hmm. But that, it's so easy to say and, and fr- seemingly impossible to do. Yeah, yeah. I do, I think about that when it comes to both, you know, games that turn into movies, movies that turn into games. Like, I haven't enjoyed, I don't know if I've enjoyed any Star Wars video games. I haven't played yeah. the, the new the new one. I've not, heard it's good. I've not played it. Either. Yeah, I've heard it's, I've heard it's good, but I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not big on to, in like licensed games, although the new Spider-Man is so emotional and fantastic the miles morales one i've heard is great it looks amazing it's so good there's there's a cutscene in that that i would watch over and over it's so it's so emotional and just like timely and beautiful but yeah it's it's tough to uh strike the right tone when you're transferring a a movie to a video game or vice versa well and to your point about like video a video game adaptation of a movie it does feel like they know the basic things they have to do, and it feels like an added revenue stream as opposed to like an actual game. Yeah. So it's just so it feels half-hearted as much as like sometimes I watch a movie and I'm like, ooh, I want to play in that world some more. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like I was super excited. Like the only time I was excited for a Star Wars game was that one that they canceled. That was like the Underworld on Coruscant or whatever it was. It looked cool. Yeah, it looked awesome. It was like GTA Star Wars. And then they canceled it, and now I'm very disappointed. Which is really typical in that regard. But it's also like, too, that new Star Wars game, like, we both heard, oh, this is a good one. But Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, does that just mean, that just to me means, oh, good for what these are, which aren't that good to me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what does that mean? So like, oh, so it's like average. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's a a video game. It's a (laughs) non-broken video game. Great. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're saying this in a high pitched surprise tone. I'm like, it's good. <laughs> it's, it's it's good. Surprisingly. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know they could do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get into this eventually, but you might as well get into it now. PA Nation, your podcast is mm. great. I really, oh, really thank like you. it. Did you do it during the pandemic and starting it, or was this an idea and something you wanted to do beforehand? Uh it was I've had the idea since I started PAing. I remember mm-hmm. talking to Kyle Clark, do you know him? He he does. No, um, I don't think so. What's his podcast called? This is Rad, I believe. Okay. And he worked on Talking Dead, and I remember talking to him about this show idea I had, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that's like a pretty good idea." And that was in 2017, probably 2016. Okay. And then the original idea was just to have my friends on who were slash are still PAs, and just kind of talk about you know their experiences as PAs and then kind of track their growth over time. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which I still think is a fun idea. And maybe that'll be part of, you know, once, (laughs) once I can't get any uh, (laughs) people who are former PAs, maybe I'll just start with actual PAs. But yeah, so we, uh, I kind of like had that on the shelf for, I mean, I guess three or four years. And then when the pandemic hit, my show went on hiatus and I ended up moving back home. So I was in San Diego, yeah. still am in San Diego. And I was like, what can I do that is still making me feel productive and somewhat quarantine proof? 
And so my ideas were like, okay, I can write something. So I wrote a pilot with a friend and then I was like, well, I've had this PA idea. And so I messaged Liz Maupin, who's my producer, just out of the blue. We had followed each other on Twitter for, you know, a couple months or something like that. But I messaged her like, hey, do you have any, you know, desire to produce podcasts? And she had been doing Dave Schilling's show for a little bit. And she was like, yeah, totally. So we kind of, you know, set up a few calls and got the structure of it kind of down. And then we recorded episodes. I think we banked like 14 episodes or something like that oh, wow. before we launched. So yeah, so that whole process, Liz and I working together took about like six months to kind of like get the, the flow of the show and the segments and, you know, everything kind of down. And then, yeah, we launched in November. Is that right? Sorry. Yeah, I think so. No. I'm September? I, I like right. I said, time Something means like nothing that. to me anymore. I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's so strange. It feels like I it hasn't been that long, but maybe it has. I don't know. November 17th. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's was right. When the post, yeah, so it's like mid to late no- November. Cause it, yeah, because it was after the... We were like, let's just wait and see what happens with the election. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But yeah, so that was that was pretty much the... The development of the show and i'm so happy to have liz on, on the team and she's made it a much better show yeah you know it's funny i i just talked to her the one time on here and mm-hmm. not, so i it, it's not like I, I by any means know her but she very much gives off like just the vibe of oh she's very good at what she does yeah she's definitely it's a um it's a confidence where when you talk to her you're like oh it'll be fine like, no matter what happens, we'll be fine. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? And I think that's part of, you know, her her producing live shows and stuff like that. It's kind of just like, let's let something happen and then we'll figure it out from there, which has been really fun because I'm kind of on the other side on coming from TV where it's like every single thing is like meticulously like to the second. It's like, okay, we'll talk about this for three minutes and five seconds and then we'll go to break you know that kind of thing you're on opposite sides of like the rigidity spectrum exactly yeah Yeah. so it's been really uh, a fun learning experience for me being like oh there can be you know some some elasticity in this and it doesn't all have to be the same kind of rigidity yeah exactly well that's nice though because like you know you always you always want what you don't have yeah (laughs) as much as you know it's like a chicken or the egg i guess i suppose Mm -hmm. on some level yeah but also, though, to realize you can exist within those two polarities as opposed to just one or the other. Mm-hmm. As much as, obviously, in TV, that, that just is how it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a good kind of dialectic, maybe, to, to become that kind of synthesized person between the two uh, poles. I know that you mentioned it, too, on your podcast, but I was curious. As a history major, mm-hmm. you worked as a research assistant or in the research department, I suppose, on the Imagineers. Oh, yeah. And you were you got to go through Walt Disney's papers, like his private <laughs> papers. I When I heard that, I kind of, and I'm not even like the biggest like Disney head or whatever, mm-hmm. but the idea of being able to go through those pieces of history must have been so cool. Yeah, it's it's really that that was like such a great that was my first internship on the production side of things um was with iWorks and Co, which is a great great little production company and that experience of like 
first of all, going into those archives where you feel like you're a secret agent or something like that, yeah. or like men in black, you know, how they like go into that, like big, like power station or whatever. And it looks like nothing. And then it like opens up. It's like, that's how <laughs> the Disney like archive was for me. And yeah, they, they would just like bring out books and books and books of like photos of, you know, all these, uh, you know, artists drawing Snow White, you know, like the first time they animated a scene for Snow White or, you know, I think her name's like Leota Toombs, like working on the Haunted Mansion ride, like doing concept work for that or whatever. And yeah, it just feels like these like living pieces of history that you're that you're getting to like kind of parse through and, and figure out how to tell a story about. So that was that was huge. And I got to work with Mark Catalina, who's a great director, editor, who I think he got a Peabody, maybe an Emmy as well for his doc series about the LA Times family, the Chandler family. Oh, wow. And he was just like an awesome person to work with and really patient and like uh encouraging on you know when i would get really excited about finding you know oh i think this is an artist that we've we haven't found a photo of yet but like here he is and he would get really excited with me and <laughs> you know really all cool. that kind of stuff it was really encouraging that's also wow to your point of like you're going to this relatively like innocuous unassuming room mm -hmm. and then you're just like oh these just invaluable pieces of history are just laying around yeah and they're like, yeah, it's just there. It's crazy, yeah. And and it was so fun. I, I maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I I the way that I remember it is like they would just have like all of like the Disney vault. You know how like they used to be like, oh, Cinderella is coming out of the vault, and like <laughs> to manufacture, you know, need yeah, exactly. And they would have all of those just like lining the walls of this like archive room being like, oh, here's the, you know, Robin Hood uh, VHS, <laughs> you know, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And it was just, yeah, it was super fun. Well, my childlike brain too was like, oh, they're literally locking them in a vault. Like, yeah, that's what I same. thought. And it's just exactly like, oh, they're just I not thought. producing more in some <laughs> factory somewhere. Yeah, like, exactly. It's so much more mysterious. That, yeah what i perceive it to be yeah i love the idea of like an actual vault which is like piles of vhs's that are like <laughs> yeah. worth 35 cents or whatever <laughs> being like the security is just so high for these things and then part of growing up is realizing oh they're just manufacturing the a, need a for need, it yeah, yeah <laughs> they're just openly manipulating me to want to buy like like uh prince of egypt or something yeah is that, exactly is that even a disney movie i think that's, that's actually a dreamworks movie that's, that's what so I funny that's the that's one choice i could have made <laughs> and that's what i go i'm I like mean, are they manufacturing movie. the need for for road to el dorado nope wrong one again <laughs> dang yeah <laughs> That's so funny. That's a that's a movie that I um I work on the Bible Brothers with Dan Klein and uh, Robert Padnick, who are so funny. And we started doing these watch alongs on their Patreon. Yeah. Um, and so we did. We wanted to do Prince of Egypt. That's the first one, but they had taken it down from Netflix. So we watched um, oh the the Joseph King of Dreams. It was like okay. the, yeah their second try at like a biblical story. And that was like a really fun experience. So if anyone wants to watch that with two very funny comedy writers, uh, subscribe to their Patreon. For sure. Like now I'm curious to see that. Because yeah. I've not seen that. I did see Prince of Egypt. I know off the top, it's, I've not thought about this movie in so long. <laughs> I know Brown Kilmer does a voice. Uh -huh. And it looked pretty cool. Like they did a comment. It was like animated, but there was like CGI involved. I yeah, there was like a little bit of CGI. So it's pretty cool the way they did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think like Martin Short and Steve Martin are in it. 
uh, which is oh my fun. god, that is fascinating. Yeah, I can't. Um, yeah, well now I have to watch this <laughs> this movie. It is like, what if I also kept going of like, no, uh, Titan AE. No, that's Fox. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> like it's impossible to miss on this. Yeah. And yet I almost, I almost said one, and I was like, oh wait, no, that is Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, what about uh, Ice Age? No, that's no. Big Sky. Shit. <laughs> I know that you had said, I haven't listened to the episode yet of Ashley Ray's podcast, TV I Say mm. with Ashley Ray, but mm-hmm. she had said, you had said on it that you just had this this very atypical trajectory of, not, I guess, not going to school for, for this industry, mm. not going to your more classic Emersons, as it were, you know, <laughs> yeah. for this trajectory. So you're... You're off the beaten path of getting on this path. And I guess for lack of a better word, like the pedigree or something. Yeah. But so what is that? I Is it that you're going about it without that playbook or you're just trying to pave your own road? How What is that experience like, I guess? Well, one thing that I have kind of come to, you know, gotten a piece about or whatever uh, in my experiences is that they're... There is, you know, if you go to Emerson or Columbia or, you know, these these schools that kind of like churn out, even like Northridge, you know, a lot of Northridge mm-hmm. people work on like unscripted stuff like right out of school. Even even if I'm, you know, not part of those schools or whatever, there are still a lot of people like me. And that's kind of why I started PA Nation was like to encourage those people that, you know, don't have those connections and stuff like that. And what up someone a great guest that we had on this week has a great career and started you know from zero uh, yeah similar to me although my my story is a little bit more i had like a little bit more experience just because i was an actor like in high school and i you know worked in la up until like college um oh, okay like on in acting and so i like knew kind of you know like my way around a set and stuff like that but i had never done like production stuff so okay. I didn't know any like production people, um, but like I don't, I don't want to say like I had zero experience. You know, fair like, enough. I guess it's set. more of more of just like the not the not the production the cla- side of classic things. trajectory that people yeah do and, like, with a network. That. I think yeah. And what to your point with the show though too is that there's no correct way to go about it. Exactly. Right? Everybody has their own story, and it's all, and some of it is just so like you know inexplicable or just so circuitous. Uh-huh. The root, uh, even the people that have the most like purposeful, singular mindset to get this thing, it doesn't always go that way, regardless of you know your intention. Yeah, totally. And it's funny because I'm like quoting episodes that probably aren't going to be out for a little while, but someone <laughs> <laughs> was talking about, and I probably am messing up this this idea, but basically, like the more stuff you try to do, the luckier you become. Something along those lines, where it's like yeah. the more opportunities you give yourself, the more you know luck but basically it's just like the higher chance you have of succeeding at something um and so trying you know to get into the industry in any way you can you know raises the chances that you'll you know find the job that you enjoy doing where you know it might not be you know writing or producing or editing it might be you know some some other job that doesn't get as much um you know that doesn't have as good of a publicist as a a director (laughs) does you know Um, but it's just like trying to find the thing that, you know, crossing off the list of 
okay, I tried, you know, I tried producing like a little something and I didn't really enjoy it, but I like, I liked making something. So what is it that I liked about it? Oh, maybe it's writing and then like trying to write something. Yeah. It's all about, you know, it's like a maze and you have to like walk down a, a dead end and be like, oh, shoot. At least I know that it's not this now and you can kind of like try on another path. And there's absolute value in that, obviously, you know, yeah. to, it's like anything else. Like sometimes you have to not succeed, you know, I don't want to say fail because I don't think it's a failure <laughs> if you learn from it, but like yeah. not succeed in the way you intended to then realize that's not the path for you. Yeah. You have to have the bad movies to contextualize the good. If everything, yeah. if, if, if you don't have any good movies, none of them are good. So yeah. and, you know, and same thing with experiences. There's that whole thing of like, you learn more about making a movie from bad movies than good movies because like you see like good movies, you know, everything is flush and everything kind of like yeah. works together and it's all invisible, like the making of the movie. But if you watch a bad movie, you're like, oh, there's a, there's the boom in the shot or like, oh, there's yeah. that edit or like the you know the the angles aren't right or you know it's like why is why is this making me feel like this is a bad movie and then you figure out like oh that's something i probably shouldn't do on my movie you know <laughs> yeah it kind of reminds me too that sometimes when they announce a movie and it's like indiana jones 5 or whatever mm -hmm. and it's like written by this person then people look at the credits of this person and it's like minor horror movies or something yeah or a movie they didn't quote unquote like or that is generally perceived as not being good mm -hmm. they're like well why would that how could that person write that thing that's not that good mm -hmm. and it's like you don't think that people learn from things and grow and become <laughs> better at that yeah. and also though like you just take what you can get in an industry yeah. <laughs> that is so difficult like i i see that and i'm like that is so like, it's so meaningless to me mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's there's so much behind the scenes and it, you know it might even be you know oh yeah that thing was horrible and like they don't deserve to like not gonna name names but i can think of a few writers that i'm like they just have a really good agent or they have a powerful family and they're or they know, are good in a room yeah man. yeah they must pitch totally. there are some screenwriters i see and i'm like god they must be so fun to be around yeah they must be so charismatic <laughs> <laughs> they must have a great personality <laughs> Which then makes me think like, oh, are they like, or should they just be producers then? You know, <laughs> in that they're really good at selling a thing and getting people on board, mm -hmm. but then they get to the actual writing and you're like, how did that happen? Like, yeah. man, well done. They must be really good. <laughs> they are good show people, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, totally. And obviously I'm talking about Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not afraid yeah. to name names. I cower, you know, but you're, you'll put them on blast. I'm a, I'm a bit of a stinker. Yeah. And that's what people come here for. That's why people, <laughs> you know, that's why your numbers are up every week. I pull no punches. I miss yeah. no words. <laughs> Some have called me the Bill Maher. I cannot think of a name. Yeah. I'm really I'm really bad at pulling things at this point. The Bill Either Maher. I pull like... <laughs> yeah. You're like kind of subtly racist. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but like kind of funny. I'm a smug asshole, but I somehow have leverage over HBO that won't <laughs> allow them to cancel my show, despite I don't know how anybody watches it at yeah. this point. God, what a piece of shit. I can't stand him. <laughs> um, so now I really yeah. am no pulling bunches. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, he, he did his show on the lot that we did um, Talking Dead when we were still yeah. able to be in the same room with people. And his show would be like late. So normally, you know, our show would be done and... and we would all be going home but sometimes i'd have to stay late and i would be walking out to my car and one night i walked behind killer mike for like the oh entirety God. of the lot and i was like would it be weird if i said hi yeah it would be weird <laughs> if i said hi but that was like that was a pretty cool experience i was like i never would have thought that i 
would be this close to Killer Mike, but this is pretty cool. I think I, my my reaction, I say this now, it's easy to say, but I think for most people of, of relative note, you know, I would be like, oh, that's really cool. But mm-hmm. that, but him, I, I would, he, I would be starstruck. Yeah. Sure. He's, he's a very fascinating person. He's very, he's, I'm just uh, eternally impressed by him. Mm-hmm. And also though, he's physically imposing, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. He's a, he's a tall, big man. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is like, we're walking down hallways that are, when you're in a hallway with him, you can't really pass him. <laughs> yeah. And he was walking slowly. So I was like, I have to keep my distance. Like all this stuff. It was, there was a lot of math going on in that hallway. <laughs> yeah. There is so much to process in that. Yeah. Especially when you can't anticipate. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't go throughout my day anticipating the possibility of encountering, you know, <laughs> a killer Mike. So yeah. yeah, I definitely would be taken aback by that. Yeah. I know you, you know, with, with PA Nation too, that you've, you banked the 14 episodes and you're continuing to record them now, mm-hmm. which, by the way, when you said you banked 14, I'm like, oh, I should have. That's smart. <laughs> should have thought about that because was, I recorded one on Saturday and released it two days later. I it's Your release schedule gives me so much anxiety. I would hey, not be able too. to do it. It's dumb. You know, it's crazy. It's, it's a prison of my own. Design. Why did you do that to yourself? Okay. Well, to be fair, and this is not a much of a defense, and yet- it was that it started off as 20-minute episodes, uh-huh. and then it just ballooned because yeah. I have no I have no self-control. And also, <laughs> although my what I consider a reasonable argument for the ballooning is, I am talking to people I never would have expected to talk yeah. to. So I don't want to just talk to them for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know? So you have that have opportunity, that you take it. Yeah. Yeah, you take it. Uh, but the problem is that I just have doing it like this because I've done it. So I really need to maybe not, maybe I, you know, I need to. I don't think anyone would blame you if you went to, you know, two a week. <laughs> you know what my thing week. is though? My, here's the thing I've been thinking about for the last two weeks. Say I go down to two. What days do I release them then? Mm. That's my dilemma. Yeah. I do not know. Is your release, so your release is Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get that. You know, that's where I'm at. And maybe that's just Stockholm Syndrome. And I'm just justifying <laughs> doing like, well, like, can't no, figure it out. No, Guess I'll I never figure it out. I love torturing myself. No, I love <laughs> researching three guests and producing three episodes and editing three episodes. Look, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it that's really pretty crazy. Is. How long does it take you to edit an episode? That's something that I'm so curious about in general for editors because it takes me forever. It, uh, I'll tell you what, for somebody who uh, I never edited anything before this, <laughs> So it's been a real, a real uh, crapshoot. It's been a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And I can't even listen to probably the first hundred, for all I know, <laughs> episodes of just the manic nature of it because I was just figuring it out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I've hardly put in my 10,000 hours, you know, as it were. But it now takes, depending on like the longer I go, the more I'm a real glutton for punishment because obviously that means I have to listen to minimum, it's going to minimally take the length of the episode. Yeah. Then plus editing it. So I'm way, uh, way more loose with it you know mm-hmm. and a part of that i guess is just a confidence in your editing ability mm-hmm. on top of it so you know i don't think it takes dramatically more than the episode length itself but wow. it depends on you know i would say for if it were like a 30 minute episode uh probably honestly like an hour wow 90 minutes, 90 minutes maybe that's great good for you <laughs> that's awesome yeah i yeah. i take so long and 
yeah i don't know i don't know why because i go into it thinking like oh yeah this will be simple this will be easy and then i'm there for eight hours or whatever i'm like Ugh. look i get really it, it took me hours starting off mm -hmm. and i don't know maybe if it's just the aggressive uh release schedule that's broken me of my <laughs> meticulous nature but i am exponentially more concerned with their audio and how they come off than myself yeah you know because uh, i want to do right by them but obviously i also want it to be as good as possible but mm -hmm. it's man it, it's I, I i've talked to people who are like oh i love editing mm -hmm. and but i think they're talking i don't I think these are producers talking about other shows. And and you talked about it before too. Like that's a whole other thing. Yeah. I have no problem with other people's mistakes. It's mine that annoy me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the thing I like about, you know, editing Bible brothers is like when they make mistakes, I love finding the way to frame it in a way that like, you know, exacerbates the mistake or like adds to the bit rather than yeah, like, yeah. you know, just being like, oh, that was a mistake. Moving on, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, on exactly. my show, it's like, my there's a mental block there, being like, oh, there can't be any mistakes, and I end up cutting like half of what I say in each episode. Yeah. And yeah, just like most of my episodes are are pretty much, I don't know, probably like ninety percent the other person talking. <laughs> no, it's the same way for me. I feel like it takes me so long to do the run up to getting to the actual question. So I feel like I'm deleting <laughs> so many like redundancies of getting it where I'm doing yeah. it. So it's really like streamlining my own phraseology. Yeah. While not touching theirs because, you know, outside of like maybe some errant ums or something. But other than that, it's just like, I mean, I don't want to. It's weird, you know, it's like, I know this is like maybe dramatic, but. I feel a responsibility to make sure I don't edit in a way that makes them come off in a different way than they intended. Yeah. You know, because they trust me with that. And not that they're ever going to listen to it, but <laughs> I know it's there. Yeah, know? totally. Yeah, there is. That is a, a tough thing. And that was something on Talking Dead that we dealt with a lot. And I was always so amazed by our editors on that show just because we have, you know, hours and hours of, of footage of these actors talking about their characters and characters that they've, you know, been playing for 10 years, some of them, you know, yeah. and, and I think on any show, it would be easy to like, you know, kind of create a story out of these sound bites that they, you know, yeah. kind of cobbled together. But we had to have a really, um, you know, strict policy on like protecting the actor and, and um, being true to exactly what they are intending to say which i think i can't imagine it's incredibly rare but i think some shows probably lean into sensationalizing things and stuff like that yeah you know it's uh i i've done that before too where i accidentally cut something you know where i'm in in the in like in editing and man you can you can do a lot of damage yeah you know if you don't have you know i guess some scruples or just uh i, I guess just professionalism mm -hmm. but you can you can you could ostensibly in some instances like fuck people's worlds up mm -hmm. if you edit a certain way and you can but in some instances i do it seamlessly you know yeah and it's way more effective than a deep fake at least you can tell with that <laughs> you know so you know so i i'm glad that they don't take that lightly because there are plenty of other shows where all they give a shit about the ratings now and they're dealing with the fallout later mm -hmm. yeah so yeah that was that that's something that i'm very proud of that show for for doing for being on so long because we've done that show for i think nine seasons or ten seasons and and yeah it's it's really amazing that the relationships between 
you know, everyone is, is still so well. And I think that goes, um, you know, a lot of credit goes to the, to the EPs and showrunners of that show for creating that kind of environment where everyone's comfortable and everyone trusts, you know, our team to portray them in an accurate, uh, in an, in an accurate way. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I think I remember seeing too that, you know, when Walking Dead is on, it was like the ratings for cable were Walking Dead 1, Talking Dead 2, <laughs> because so many people were tuning in. It's and I'm like, I mean, it makes sense, you know. Lead in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that, that's nice, yeah. But like, uh, I mean, it makes sense because, you know, people like to get the, the behind the scenes imaginations and more insight into the thing they love. So it's a total no-brainer. Yeah, that was that when you know everything was normal that was such a great time because yeah everyone in the audience you know are are huge fans and and yeah just it felt really special to to have everyone together and the actors come and and really you know invest in the in the fan base and stuff like that it was very cool to be a part of yeah and i think um i think people people love hearing other people talk about things they love yeah you know so it goes it, it it's i don't know you know i almost said it's a no-brainer like I, I guess i said that before but it wasn't something anybody I, they were i mean walking dead or talking dead was the first of that type of thing wasn't it it seems like it yeah i can't really think of a an earlier version i don't know yeah maybe it wasn't like the first but it was it was the big like pebble that caused the yeah it was like right? the the I think it's the archetype that, that yeah. people go off of now. I think also now, I think they were doing this before, maybe maybe it was not pre-pandemic, inter-pandemic, but mm-hmm. they've also done that, a version of that with podcasts now. As oh, interesting. To bridge that gap. Like oh, HBO, that's right. HBO does that. They did it with uh, Watchmen. And uh-huh. They've done a couple other shows oh, yeah, where that's right. it's like officially sponsored, you know, yeah. the official podcast. And then, and then there's the unofficial one like did, have, have you listened i haven't listened to it yet but i saw you had um phil matteris on did you listen yeah. to his um undoing podcast i'm not because i need to finish the show yeah i haven't seen the show so i haven't listened to it but i'm sure that's very funny that's what i figure yeah i'm, I'm kind of the show is wild so i've been watching that kind of in fits and starts but mm-hmm. i'm curious to listen to his podcast he's so funny yeah uh after that and retrospect i should have asked him like uh so why do that <laughs> i i love that he gets really into H- hbo shows yeah specifically like he it seems like he has like an, an allegiance to them <laughs> which makes <laughs> sense i mean it's yeah his show is so funny obviously an hbo show and yeah his all of his stuff on um uh succession like his uh, tarot cards i think are very funny yes. i love that some of the cast wanted to get their tarot readings yeah. and stuff like that it's just and he was like nope one of one yeah it's just like a fun <laughs> it's a fun thing to to be able to create something that you know the cast or crew of that show is into absolutely i i definitely you know he's one of those um creators and the type of creators where i really respond to him doing a thing because he wants to do a thing and it just so happens a lot of other people like it too yeah like that really does it for me yeah that's the dream it's really to have any kind of response that's positive on yeah. something that you're like, oh, I just did this because I wanted to, like that's, I I can't think of a better feeling. <laughs> I know, like to be able to 
to very organically control your own destiny like that Mm -hmm. and create a community absolutely so i could do this all day yes this is great i really enjoyed this awesome so thank you for doing it. Uh, do you want to, what do you want to point people toward? I know PA Nation. Yeah, PA Nation. Uh, we release episodes every Monday, um, depending on when this comes out. Maybe Will Miles is the guest this week, I think. Okay. Stand up, very funny guy. Bible Brothers is one thing that I would point people towards. Their Patreon, I get some money out of that. So that would be cool if people... <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the patreon.com patreon.com slash bible brothers right yeah probably bible brothers podcast um ba, 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 yeah and then just like social media cooper pelts on twitter and i think that's it thank you for doing this this was great of course thank you uh that was very fun i enjoyed it so thank you all for listening please take care Stay safe, wear a mask, et cetera. Yes. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.